Hello, and welcome back to the podcast that Bobby Davro himself once described as wholesome, sporting fun. Probably. I'm your host, Dan, and as ever, I'm joined by fellow hosts, Chris. Say hi, Chris. Hi, Dan. And Josh. Say hi, Josh. Hello, Dan. Now, sit back and enjoy the ride, because this is Sports Weekly. So, we're back here again. I think for like the ninth or tenth time. Craziness. Um, But we've got a hugely packed podcast for you guys tonight. Uh, First of all, Josh, Chris, how are you both? Uh, I'm very well, thanks, uh, Dan. Yeah, I had a good weekend. Went to a beer festival. Nice. And you got royally smashed? (laughs) Not royally. Not as bad as my friend who was uh, sick three times, but... uh... (laughs) Three times? Yeah. Yeah. Like within, within... The same day or all in the same period or just spread out for good measure? Spread out for good measure. Nice. About four to five hours. Not good for him. <laughs> Not good at all. Vol- volume related or... Um, I think a lack of eating related. beforehand. Uh, eating is cheating though, to be fair. Yeah. Whereas the rest of us did eat and we're all absolutely fine. Like so. sensible folk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's good. Good selection of beers. Uh, nice. So that, is, that is what you're looking out for in a beer festival, at least. <laughs> well, I've been to some where this would be dreadful. So uh, this one was particularly... You can have Heineken Shout, shout out to Woking Beer Star? Festival for putting on a, a good one. Nice. Woking Beer Festival. Fair play. Uh, Josh, I have to say, now, Chris, f- for a bit of background, I was going to a social gathering in Cambridge that I assumed Josh was also going to be at. And right. only when I got there... It was I told that Josh wasn't actually going to be there at all? Oh, and were you had, aban- had abandoned me to go on a stag do this weekend, Josh. <laughs> and can I say the tamest stag do I will ever go on? Um, nice. Home want. by home by midnight. It was <laughs> um, I think this this guy I worked with his third stag do. He's had one in New York. He's had one with some friends up north, and this was his kind of. I'm a bit fed up with stag do's now. Let's just have a meal and. <laughs> Who's I meal? warmed up for the quiz. <laughs> yeah, crazy meal. My God. <laughs> Couldn't, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I warmed up for this uh, this quiz that I'm creating with a, with another, with a wedding-themed quiz. Nice. Okay. That, wait, you're not going to tell us we've got yeah. wedding questions in our quiz, have we? Is that what you're saying? Wedding questions in the quiz? No. Well, I've taken inspiration from the kind of, not the theme of the wedding, but some of the questions. So okay. some of the kind of the type of questions, let's say. But uh, yeah. no, I've steered clear of... It was pretty dull, to be honest. <laughs> fair, fair. I mean, <laughs> did you have a good time other than the the, the quiz? Did you have a nice meal, at least? It, it was lovely, yeah. Oh, very excellent. Nice. <laughs> Super. Well, Josh, you missed out at Cambridge because we had a whale of a time. Um I have to say, the first time I've ever been to Cambridge, and whilst I enjoyed it, other than the universities, 31 different colleges, so I heard, and and punting on the River Cam, there's not an awful lot to do in Cambridge. <laughs> I have to say, there's lots of lovely buildings, but I'm not sure I'd go back. Lovely place. don't know really what I'd go back for. Have either of you two ever been to Cambridge before? Yeah, I've been twice because on my best friends lives not a million miles away from it so his in fact his stag do was uh partly in cambridge nice um, did it involve the river cam at any point no it didn't we had a meal out and as well but the main theme of the or the main activity was the 
uh, races at Newmarket. So that nice. was the sort of that's the sort of main activity around there, I think. But obviously, there's a bit of a distance between the two. So um, yeah, I know what you're saying. It is lovely, but um, yeah, if and um, if you're a student, fantastic. But if you're not, yeah, yeah you might struggle a bit with things. So. I feel like and if I, you I, like I... sort of choral music or singing or something, you'd probably be <laughs> feel at home in Cambridge. Go around different <laughs> colleges. Are you basing that entirely on like the carols that they do? <laughs> or such as songs of praise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah more or less yeah yeah fair i mean I, I did like cambridge um it was a lovely city at night it's very different i mean it was a, a sight in the weather spoons i have to say really? um at night time but uh did you notice any of the guys walking around in like their university gowns and hats and things because i noticed that no. oh that happened yeah does yeah. it no yeah, they're I, very, I very very proud of their uh uh, I, mean, I, I would I would be as well I have to say if I if I was clever enough which I probably am surely I mean I went to Hull so I'm probably clever enough in Cambridge uh, um, but <laughs> I, I'd do exactly the same I, have you, you heard know, about that that tradition where they at the end of their exams they throw paint and like sort of food at each other to celebrate and get all their nice robes all mucky <laughs> no that sounds no. immense yeah. that sounds brilliant yeah, sort of like let loose and hurl tomatoes and stuff at each other. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Ah, oh, but hey, we've all had good weeks, and not least because of sport as well. Apart from this weekend where Villa lost to, in inverted commas, rivals Wolves. They're not really our rivals. They want to be, but we don't care at all about Wolves. Um, lost two one. Awful performance. Dean Smith described it as the worst 45 minutes he's seen since we lost 3-0 at Wigan last year. <laughs> well, he um, just said, um, we don't care about Wolves. Well, <laughs> it looked like the players didn't care as well. They didn't, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Uh, that's, that's their message to the fans. Oh, you don't care about them. We don't care either. So pff, who cares? <laughs> um, but another great result for Leicester, Josh. The juggernaut just rolls on. Oh, second, my second place. I know, second best uh, goal difference in the Prem. And and a three better goal difference than leaders Liverpool as well. It's basically it's... like an extra point. They're looking over their shoulders, what can I say? Oh, yeah. you win a title race, Josh? Yes. Well, you know what? You're nine, you're <laughs> I'm, nine I'm points serious. ahead of Sheffield United and Arsenal in fifth <laughs> and sixth. So you're, you're firmly in the top four at the minute. You almost Chasing feel down. like in their kind of mindset, fourth is reasonably safe now you want the next target so they can push themselves is to the number number one spot i mean where else is there to aim for at the minute especially as the next league game is chelsea against uh city so one of them's going to drop points there anyway which only helps cement your place up there as well and then and then you play chelsea uh sorry city and liverpool back to back in december i love december football so many matches footballers and managers hate it i love it i think you beat city Last year at Christmas, didn't you? Yeah, I think that was like Puel's like sort of one result that kind of propelled him to another half a season in charge, which is really... It, it's one of those ones where you like, you obviously want to win, but you, you're frustrated bit, that it was Puel who got it. That's unfair, though, yeah. because you beat Chelsea and City back-to-back. I remember they were both 1-0s, weren't they? And it all looked amazing. And yeah. then uh, the kind of wheels fell off. But for that month, the Puel regime was in full full swing. I don't really know how he did it. He can occasionally conjure <laughs> yeah. up an amazing result, but he's yeah. just the most dull manager. 
you could you could imagine. Yeah, funny how <laughs> well, and for you, Chris, uh, a lovely result. Well, uh, a one-all draw against Ipswich Town in the FA Cup, top yeah. of the top of the league, Ipswich, and you missed a penalty though, which could have uh, could have seen you through to the second round. We missed a penalty. Um... Couple of games ago as well, we're suffering from a touch of the Manchester United with regards to <laughs> penalty taken. Yeah. Maybe start scoring penalties, guys. Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit frustrating because we were leading for a reasonable stretch of that match, uh, and it would have been good to see it out. And now we've got a replay, which is a bit annoying. But at least we're still in the hat. Which as, actually, as the draw just happened, the draw has been made. Yes, um, and I'm just looking, just looking down the list. You and... get my live reaction. You <laughs> that, that is good. If I had eyes and could see Lincoln anywhere, uh, no, you are potentially you or Ipswich away to Coventry City in the second round. Oh, right, okay. Not particularly. Well, you don't. You don't say. <laughs> you, don't, you don't sound enamoured with that one. <laughs> is it because you'd have to travel to Coventry and no one wants to do that? Well, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, and even well, surely Coventry and Lincoln. Are, Almost like a bit of rivalry there. Lincolnshire and Coventryshire, <laughs> Warwickshire are close, right? They were, they yeah. Are they not? Well, <laughs> I mean, I know that Lincolnshire is east and Warwickshire is west. Think apart Leicester from are that, closer rivals than. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> than Coventry, and we are well, be, being from Leicester. Coventry is just down the road, and so I just always assume everyone's a rival to Coventry. To be honest, <laughs> and Coventry seem to hate everyone else. I mean, they sing about Villa all the time. Oh, like Coventry, who? But I should start talking about Coventry like that because I'm going <laughs> to alienate a whole city for this podcast if I'm not careful. Uh, so Coventry, I apologise. I've been there before. Top night out. So there we go. All square. Um, anyway, tonight we are talking about the Premier League, Man City versus Liverpool, uh, a bit about West Ham as well because they are not on a good run at the minute. We may touch upon VAR again, although that could be every podcast, to be honest, with how poor it's been so far. We're going to talk about a strange one tonight, but KSI versus um, Logan Paul, the second time they've met in a boxing ring. and um, But this time it was pay-per-view sky with millions of viewers. So we're going to talk a bit about that. We're then going to look at the ATP finals, um, the big end of season event for the for the men's singles and men's doubles going on as well before Josh hits us with our with his lovely quiz. But before that, we have the polls from last week. And I have to say, it was really close. Now, I sent you both the, the polls at the time. Uh, when it was at its closest, because you guys were neck and neck, but it did not finish that way. Are you ready for the result to our poll from last week, guys? I am. I'm intrigued to see, where, see which way it's gone. So ready. Well, go for it. It was all about the greatest footballing comeback. Okay, so Chris, I believe it was you that went for Liverpool three, AC Milan three, uh, the Istanbul Champions League final. Yeah, that's right. Josh, you went for Liverpool four, Barcelona nil, which doesn't sound like a comeback until you put it into context where Liverpool were three nil down from the first leg of last season's Champions League semi-final. And mm-hmm. I went for the weird one of Newcastle four, Arsenal four, Newcastle four nil down uh, after the first half. Newcastle draw it level with a sublime Check Tiote volley from way outside the area. I posted all of the clips um, in this week's poll on the Twitter page. And looking back through them, all of them were such fantastic comebacks. But last for once is other. Only 6% of the votes. Now, some of these were things like Manchester United 2, FC Bayern 1. 
uh, in the uh, 1999 Champions League final, which is very, very understandable because a brilliant comeback it was. Um, but in third place, it was my suggestion. Newcastle 4, Arsenal 4 with just 11% of the votes. Unsurprisingly, considering the absolute juggernaut comebacks that you two went for. But for me, it was just such a good comeback because I was there in the city at the time. What a great atmosphere. And the volley alone is enough to win any game. And coming from 4-0 down must feel like an absolute victory for Newcastle at that point. In second place... With 39% of the votes, the winner got 44%, so it was really close, was Liverpool 4, Barcelona 0 from last season's UEFA Champions League semi-final with a brilliant ending goal by Divock Origi after an excellent corner from Trent Alexander-Arnold. But that means the winner and probably one that we could have called, and I think we all did call last week, was Chris's. <laughs> Liverpool 3, AC Milan 3, Istanbul what a final that was and what a result for Liverpool to give them their fifth Champions League title. Chris, how do you feel about winning um, last week's poll? I'm delighted to win. It's been a while since I'd uh, won one. but um, well, It seems like Josh won every other one. In the, yeah, <laughs> OK. <this week. laughs> yeah, um, yeah, happy to, uh, to win that. But I think it's the one which is just seared into football fans' minds, whoever you support, really. Uh, one of yeah. the great moments of, um, well, since the turn of the century. But possibly, well, from even before that, to be honest. Um, mm. I think had, had it gone for United yeah. 2, Bayern 1 in the Champions League final, I think all three would have been the closest yeah, we would have had it ever, I think, yeah. so far. Yeah. But I chose to go for an obscure one, and it was the wrong week to do it. Um, <laughs> Josh, just missed out, narrowly second. You didn't win this week. You're going to pick yourself up and dust yourself off for later on. I graciously accept Istanbul <laughs> is the true winner. You know. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a worthy winner, I have to say. I think but, it helps uh, it was a final as well. I yeah, absolutely. Although I thought Josh, because it was so etched in the memory um, of the re- recent history, I should say, mm. I thought Josh might just nick it at one point. But Chris has just went out. Now, that was that last week's podcast. Um, Sorry, that was last week's poll. This week's poll is all about a really strange one. Because of KSI and um, Logan Paul not being boxers by trade, YouTubers by trade they are actually um, I well we thought it might be quite nice to look at sports stars who have changed careers or people who have changed careers to go into sport and so our poll is going to be related to the our favourite sports star or otherwise to go into a different career have you got one in mind guys? I have yes uh, yeah I think it's quite a good one quite an interesting one. Josh? I think I've gone for a a left field suggestion, taking your place from last week, Dan. So we'll Very see nice. how that goes down. Well, uh, I can't wait to hear them, but it's time to get on with the rest of the podcast. Let's do it. So our first topic for this week is, well, we're going to start off by talking about the big game from the weekend, Liverpool versus Man City. Chris, you watched the game. Right result for you? Liverpool deserve to win? Or do you think that it was Man City's and perhaps they were, let's say, a bit unfairly treated by officials, which we will go on to talk about very shortly? Um, no, I think it was I think it was a fair result, really. I think I think although I think Liverpool didn't start particularly well. They looked a bit nervous and gave away quite a few free kicks 
uh, and sort of silly challenges to Man City, which could have given them a foothold in the game. Uh, Man City, that is. But they weren't able to take any of those small chances. And then, yeah, as you mentioned there, there was a bit of a shout for handball, but play continued. And then Fabinho scored an absolute wonder goal to uh, to get the ball rolling for Liverpool. And I think that settled them down. And uh, not long after, there was a, well, just a wonderful piece of skill by mm. Alexander Arnold in the first instance to spread the ball across. Yeah, so, no, uh, when he passed that ball, I yeah. thought he completely shanked the pass. Yeah, because if you look at that, Bernardo Silva actually starts running forward because mm. he thinks he's hit it wrong, which yeah. then gives uh, Robertson the space to run into. And then he absolutely exploited it to the max by delivering an undefendable Wonderful uh, cross and then Salah just had to make a clean contact with it and uh, stuck it in the net. So that was which I always find the, hard when when people Salah's are heading a football. For a while, actually, but when yeah. people are heading a football and they've got that much hair, I have they got any control <laughs> over where it? I always thought the same about Mara and Fellaini. How have they any true. control about where that football's going? I think the key is to get it on the forehead rather than on the top. Um, uh, all right, so you're not supposed to close your eyes and hope it doesn't hurt when you when you do a header. Are you giving away your uh, heading technique there, Dan? All wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> but no, he uh, he uh, controlled the header very well. And um, I think, well, the third goal kind of killed it off. I think uh, Liverpool changed shape just after half-time and uh, got uh, Henderson on the right, which may have looked like an odd position for him to play, but he actually started his career with Sunderland out there on the right. And uh, he rolled back. To, well, he drew back on that experience, delivered a wonderful cross that Mane put in at the back post. And really, that was game over. Although I was quite impressed how Man City kept, kept it up. It would have been easy to give up or try and go into damage limitation mode. But they actually kept coming forward. And I think actually had much the better of the last half an hour with, I think, Sterling played fantastically well, but for no reward. He did, yeah. And there was, he was constantly attacking Alexander-Arnold. That was a really good battle all game, really. And I think Sterling... <laughs> could have come away with something from that but uh, there was a moment he got in one-on-one but decided to pass to Jesus when maybe he could have lofted the ball into the into the net mm. himself um, That was an odd one wasn't it because he, because he's in such good goal scoring form that you'd assume that he's in confident enough to then go for that Yeah, um, they, they, and he didn't bit, Yeah you're right I think they, look, they all looked a bit unsure themselves I thought Aguero yeah. was dreadful like, Yeah he, was, he wasn't good was he He was just really either he wasn't making the runs he'd normally make when he did, then he wouldn't make contact with the ball. Just looked very unsure. I think. And then there's this record of he has never scored at Anfield in his career. And Do you think like that plays on a striker's mind, though? I wouldn't have thought it would for a man of his quality, but I'm struggling to think why else it did. Because some of the other City players, like none of them were amazing, but some of them played. I thought De Bruyne and Sterling played played really well. I thought Angelino did well, considering one of his, not his first start, but he hasn't played many games. Whereas I thought... A, Aguero was very poor. I thought Walker wasn't particularly good. Uh, the centre-backs weren't great either. So, yeah, it was... I, they battled gamely, but ultimately I think it was the right result. I think I think the issue for anyone playing Liverpool this year is that every time Liverpool go forwards, they look like they're going to score, no matter who they've played against. So even when Man City came up against them, and yes, Man City have got massive injury problems in their defence it still looks like Liverpool are going to score every time. Now, Josh, um, Chris mentioned it briefly, um, and he did touch upon the the controversy after six minutes, uh, just before Fabinho's goal. Now, to be honest, I've been waiting for that moment when there was going to be a VAR 
um, <laughs> a controversial moment, let's say, and then the other team go up the other end and score a goal. And, and I was really looking forward to seeing how VAR would then play it. Would the goal be ruled out to then come back for a penalty on the other team and then Man City go 1-0 in the lead? Or potentially if they scored, obviously. Um, but that didn't happen. Now, are you surprised about that? Because to me... Trent Alexander-Arnold's arm isn't in a natural position. It's out from his body. And he's, I think, nine yards away from where uh, Bernardo Silva's cross came in from. Now, we should mention that it did come off Bernardo Silva's arm to then touch uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold's arm. But if that's not an issue, because I think the PGMOL have come out and said that it isn't an issue, they're not considering um, Bernardo Silva's arm to have played a part in it. So they are just judging it on the Alexander-Arnold incident and they're considering it not to be in an unnatural position or for the for the incident to be too close to where the ball came from. But I can't see that at all. If, if the Bernardo Silva arm isn't going to be an issue, then for me it has to be a penalty. I mean, you saw the, the, the um, appeal. What did you mm. think, Josh? I thought, I thought the Bernardo Silva arm had factored in and then I thought, well... I wouldn't have given it, but if that if the P if they've decided that that hasn't had any impact on their decision, I I don't feel it's in a natural position, particularly with some of the handball decisions which have gone kind of against teams this season. There've been ones where you we've had to replay it again and again to see the slightest brush of a hand. That is in comparison with some of the handballs we've seen this season. That is a stone waller if Bernardo Silva's hand isn't taken into account. I think Man City have been unlucky there, to be honest. But I don't think you can kind of stop playing and, you know, and concede, you know, go straight down the other end and concede. I don't, I think they, they switched off and that was enough. So I think a lot of people are saying that, is this their um, 11 millimetre moment? Is this like the game that they last played where there was... Mm the tiniest amount of ball didn't cross the line to, to let Liverpool lead. It, it didn't have to be. It didn't have to be that moment because Man City could quite easily have got back and defended that situation better. So, yeah, I, I, I have some sympathy with Man City, but I don't think they did themselves any favours. Yeah, I mean, the, the, um, the handball wasn't really even talked about. Um, so it wasn't considered to be a handball at all. The, the only statement they came out with was that the VAR checked the penalty appeal for handball against Trent Alexander-Arnold and confirmed the on-field decision that it did not meet the considerations for a deliberate handball. Now, I'm looking at that and thinking, how? Because as you said, Josh, there's been so many decisions where it's where it's minimal. And it, so... Uh, it and, moves and, and, and out. It follows the ball. It moves out. It moves out when the ball... Is, you're exactly right. It moves yeah, out when the ball is coming it. towards him. Mm. So and I it just wasn't quite close, but it... Well, I, nine it, yards to me seems... I mean, if you think about it from the six-yard box, halfway between the penalty area and the goal line, uh, halfway between, sorry, the penalty spot um, and the uh, six-yard box to the goal line, is mm. a, a, quite a fair distance. I mean, keepers can react from 12 yards and almost save a ball that's coming at them ridiculously quickly. So I feel like a player can react from nine yards to not handball that ball, but it looks to me like his arms come out from away from his body and make his body bigger, which is then surely absolutely deliberate handball. I think some pundits have said, is it because they didn't want to disallow that amazing goal by Fabinho um, 
you know, in the first, was it the first 10 minutes, first 20 minutes? Mm. Uh, six, um, six, six minutes in yeah. the goal came. Yeah. So do they, are they, have the officials gone, you know, we, we, we can't do that. We'll lose the crowd immediately. You know, this is, this is Anfield. Maybe not even consciously, but maybe subconsciously they think, oh, okay, that's a marginal decision. We can let that go given Fabinho's amazing hit. I don't know. Potentially, but if, if that is ever if that has come across anybody's mind, and there's already been some thoughts that some of the decisions have been rigged, i.e. the Firmino um, offside against Villa the, the week before, if that is going through anybody's mind, then it's absolutely scandalous, to be honest, if that if that mm-hmm. is a case. Uh, Chris, what did you make of the handball decision? Uh, I think it's that what you just described there points out the massive flaw in the system that if you... I think the excuse they're hiding behind is that there was a bit of a passage of play before between the alleged handball and Fabinho's goal. However, there is a the paradox in the rule book that it, say Alessandro Arnold had done what he did, but then immediately just clattered the ball back downfield and then say, I don't know, Salah lobs it or Fabinho, whoever, lobs it into the goal straight off that point of that pass, then then you'd actually be wanting your striker to miss the goal. Because if he scores, then it would it'd check for handball and the build up to a goal, which would then mean he'd have to go all the way back and give a penalty against your inside. Whereas if he misses yeah. the goal, you wouldn't check that. And yeah. then, that's <laughs> a really good, really good point. I didn't so even thought about that. If... Where you need your own player, you're screaming at your own player to not score a goal, otherwise he'll give away a penalty down the other end, which is surely not right. Crazy. But the only thing you can think about <laughs> is that the ball will have to go out at some point, and if that is the case, then they'll check it for a penalty anyway. If that makes sense. Um, so if it, if it if it goes out for a, a throw in, for example, then they'd be re they'd be checking the penalty because the ball is now out. Yeah, so that's, that's possibly now. It seems like the rule changed there because early on in the season they were only giving handballs for when it was for the attack where it gained an advantage to the team attacking the goal. Yeah, because we had those ones where like it shaved off Laporte's arm. That's yeah. the one that I seem to remember really well. Yeah. Where and, and there was yeah, quite there was quite a few around that point though. Yeah, um, I seem to remember there was one in Newcastle potentially. Yeah, uh, I think it brushed a Newcastle player's arm and then Newcastle scored, but it got ruled out. But that's why um, this all points out why you can't have a two tier system on when handballs applied. You just need to either apply it or not. Yeah, and like oh, absolutely. Yeah. And what happened yesterday with Alexander Arnold was probably more of a penalty than the one in the Champions League pa- final where Mane won the penalty by kicking it against Sissoko. Yeah, it? yeah, I agree with that. Absolutely. So it's probably more of a penalty than that, but less of a penalty than Deli Ali punching the ball away last week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then still more of a penalty than... So it's like VAR hasn't achieved anything because it's still <laughs> you get some and you don't get some, in which case why well, have it at all? So we might as well the... just go back to how it was. <laughs> well, the thing is, they brought in the new handball or to try and eradicate any... Well, any any mismade yeah. decisions. However, mm. it's made it more complicated. They they eradicated the, the if it hits an attacker's hand, it's a penalty. But then if it's a defender's hand, then they have to be making their body bigger than their silhouette. Apparently, is the is the wording. Yeah. And um, they tie themselves. They have to have a de- deliberateness, and it can't be too far away. So <laughs> they can't trust a, a VAR referee or whoever to make a decision on attacking intent with handball it just if it touches it but they can trust them to make a decision based on defending intent when there's a handball 
uh, yeah. so it's one rule for attackers and one rule def- for defenders, which yeah. is which absolutely really insane. Yeah, you can't. It's just it should be the same rule as you said applied. But I've said this before. We could talk about VAR for ages. <laughs> um, it's a massive win for Liverpool, Josh, and it now puts them eight points clear of Leicester in second and Chelsea in third, and uh, nine points clear of Manchester City in fourth. Is it Liverpool's title? Is it too early? Obviously, twelve games in in its November, um, or do you think that it could still go right down to the wire? What, what do you, what do you reckon? I kind of feel, given last season they had they had such a lead and they were kind of slowly reeled in by Man City. You feel like this season they've had that kind of scarring, and they, they you just don't feel they're going to let it go this time. And this season they just seem to have been grinding out results, not playing particularly well and you know scoring late goals uh to kind of you know just to keep that run going I feel it's Liverpool's to lose now to be honest I really do I think they've they've kind of got a balance where they can some they can play in a different style to to how they played against City like really high press really high energy all the way through but against the smaller teams, they don't have to expend that much energy. I think they've really found it this season and cracked it. But, you know, it's I, I still wouldn't say it's definitely theirs, you know, especially with it depends how far they both go in the Champions League and that fixture congestion. But it's definitely they're definitely favourites. I think I think it, it it's harder to, to, to question this year because there's more teams around them which are more dangerous. Like Leicester City last year were never going to be an issue under Puel, but they are now under Rodgers. Uh, Chelsea looked like they were stagnant at different times of the season. Now they're young, hungry, exciting. I mean, Liverpool have played 12, won 11, drawn one, and therefore they're unbeaten so far this season. They've got the third best defence in the league um, behind only Sheffield United, who've conceded nine, and Leicester, who've got the best defence and have only conceded eight. Um, they've got one of the most potent attacks in the league, again, behind Man City, who've scored 35, and Leicester, who've scored 29. So they've got the third best defence and the third best attack. It seems pretty obvious to me that they're just going to be so hard to beat. And if you score against them, you probably know they're going to score against you. So teams can't go there, can't go to Anfield and hold them to a 1-0 because the likelihood is Liverpool are going to score. So that then makes it really difficult for teams to play against Liverpool because you know you have to score to win to get anything from the game, even to draw the game, which then pulls you further out of your positions, which then allows the really potent front three of Liverpool to attack against you as they would want to, and ultimately score anyway. So how do you think teams are going to begin to play this against Liverpool, Chris? Or or, or can they not? Is it just one of those where? Liverpool is a team that nobody can expect to get a result against, as we saw with Man City yesterday. I think going to Anfield now is like possibly the hardest place to go in, maybe even Europe, maybe the world. Potent- potentially, <laughs> yeah. Because um, yeah. they've got so many ways they can hurt you. Obviously, the front three, um, but such width from the fullbacks. They're probably the two best fullbacks in the world. So that's just yeah. incredibly difficult to to uh, defend against. I suppose maybe central midfielder are a little bit more functional, but... but so even then, they've got the people like... Well, but even uh, then, they've got people like Fabinho. Yeah, yeah. Fabinho, uh, uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain coming back into the fold. 
yeah. Henderson, who can apparently play right wing and cross the ball like an absolute prime David Beckham. Yeah. Um, and then James Milner comes into the fold whenever needed, just to shore things up again. I mean, it yeah. seems like they've they've got every, and then they've got, I've not even mentioned Cater. They've got every angle of that midfield covered: workhorses, technical players, attacking driving force players, um, defensive midfielders. They've got every single part to that think, midfield, and they've yeah. got any combination of them. I think the only thing that could let them down really is if they suffer an injury to either fullback. Or possibly one of the front. Maybe you even need to lose two of the front three because I think Origi's sort of been fantastic, especially off the bench. Yeah, uh, and actually Shakiri last year back up. Yeah, was, they, was he brilliant as a backup. Yeah, so I think it's only really injuries and suspensions that could really let them down. Certainly at this stage, when we get to the real run-in, if it's a bit, if it's less than a lot less than nine points then maybe just simple nerves might come into it. But at this yeah. stage, I think they'd be looking to push on now, especially as they've played a lot of tough, tough games. They've played Manchester United, they've played Tottenham, they've played Chelsea, they've played Arsenal, they've played City. And they've come they've for all They've played Villa. Yeah, I agree. And Villa. <laughs> haven't played Leicester. Haven't toughest yet to come. Whereas well, yeah, Man City haven't true. played. All they've played is Spurs, I think. Uh, obviously Liverpool. Villa. But they've Yep. Uh, <laughs> um, so they've got they've got all these harder City have got their harder games coming up this month, and so there's a real chance. In fact, I expect the gap between Liverpool and City to actually grow over the next month, not not close up. So uh, yeah, it's all looking good. I mean, looking at yesterday's game, the one thing, the one area I see that teams might going forward attack it, uh, Liverpool on. And potentially it was just because Raheem Sterling is such a good player and other teams don't have that kind of quality. But he gave Alexander-Arnold a top. Going forward, that might be where teams kind of focus their attacking energy because Alexander-Arnold is one of, if not possibly the best attacking right-backs in the world at the minute. But defensively, when tested, that's where he kind of comes up a little bit short at times now I could be being unfair as I said because Sterling is such a good winger these days and 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 um, all credit goes to Pep for that to turn it for turning him into such a well-rounded brilliant player and whilst nothing came off for him yesterday he constantly worried Trent Alexander-Arnold do you think that's where teams might aim to attack in the future or is it pretty well known anyway that their fullbacks like to come forward so there's bound to be some space in behind yeah, I think... Um, uh, I think it's... Yeah, go on, Josh. No, I was just going to say, when you, like you say, Dan, when you push so far forward, and that that's just Liverpool style, they they commit, they're their main playmakers, you feel, the main kind of assist makers. You, you're always going to kind of leave gaps at the back. And I guess that they sort of count on the kind of expertise of Van Dijk to marshal that defence so well. He's almost like having two defenders. But... I, I do agree that one-on-one Sterling and it was a great tussle, but Sterling edged it. But yeah, like you say, it's not, um, it's not, not every team's got a Sterling. He's an incredible player. So maybe in the Champions League, kind of some of the, when they get into, if they get into the latter stages, they've got the kind of talented wing play to, to maybe expose that, but perhaps not so much in the Prem. Yeah. And, and it remains to be seen, but 
to be to me, I feel like this Liverpool team can go or should go all the way. And what a great result that would be for Liverpool and their fans. But we're just going to move on slightly because I just want to talk very briefly about West Ham. Now, a team that spent so much in the summer transfer window, brought in a manager that has been there and done it with Man City in Pellegrini. And yet they are really struggling. Currently sat 16th in the table. Uh, Their last five games have wielded four defeats and a draw. Where do you think, Chris... Well, I mean, today they've given um, Pellegrini the, the dreaded vote of confidence. Oh, no. That's it, he, well, exactly. And <laughs> he's been given... Well, apparently they are going to give him a chance to turn around the club's alarming slump in form. I mean, yeah. The... Do you think gone gone after next week's game? Or... <laughs> I think the the form is alarming. I mean, they, they started off OK this season, but defensively, they are so bad. Like, the... I think the first thing they need to do is change goalkeepers. Like, I don't know who their third choice oh, is, but Roberto performing so badly. <laughs> Especially 11, 11 goals in five games is conceded. Yeah. And like, but that, I mean, four Burnley. of those were against Oxford United in the Cup. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah. That's still, I mean, they've got still though. Yeah. Uh, that was. Yeah, in hindsight, that looks less surprising, actually, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it we should we should have known what was coming up. Yeah, yeah. Um, the yeah, and the last he looks so uncomfortable under the high ball. And if there's one place you don't want to be uncomfortable under the high ball, it's at Sean Dyche's Burnley at Turf Moor. I mean, that's just asking for trouble. Um, but they they completely bullied West Ham. Yeah. Like it was almost it just as if playing against a youth, uh, men's team against a youth team. Yeah. It was that that easy for Burnley at times. I think there was a number of areas. So yeah, one's the goalkeeper. So I think they need to give their third choice a try and see if he performs better. The midfield is completely unbalanced. I know Noble had to come off injured after 20 minutes, which didn't help them the other day. But uh, the balance in midfield just isn't really working with him and Bryce. Um, I think Zabaleta, when he plays... Gets found oh, out he's 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 gone. Surely, yeah. The legs he are is so slow and just. But, he used to be able to read the game really well, and I feel like even that's gone. And once yeah. once that part of your game's gone, it, there's not much left, is there? No, there really isn't. <laughs> Who did they play? Ah, oh, last week. Um, um, it was. Hang on, they played Newcastle at home and lost three two. Yeah, that was it. Um, because Newcastle play with St. Maximan, who's a really fast left winger. Mm. And they've got a right back in Fredericks, who is really quick and quite young. Yeah. Could probably have dealt with him. Yet they yeah. played Zabaleta. So I think that decision was completely on Pellegrini. Yeah. That, has... uh, so that was quite odd. Like, so for him to it's do just, that. It's just not going well for them. I mean, they've backed Pellegrini, Josh. They've yeah. given him £125 million. He signed Sebastian Allaire for £45 million. He's signed uh, Pablo Fornells, who's really, really hyped up massive potential for £25 million. Um, Fornells has scored once in 13 appearances, and that was against Newport in the Cup. Um Lanzini is now facing uh, a period out after being injured against Burnley. I think carried off on a stretcher. Um, Fabianski is has torn a hip muscle and he's going to be out I until think he's after out Christmas. Until year. Yeah. yeah, and mm. coming up, up to New Year, they've got Tottenham, Chelsea, and Arsenal all to play. Um, 
as well as the um, likes of Wolves away, which is, as Villa found out, a really, really difficult fixture. Um, in fact, I'll read you, Josh, their next uh, few games. Tottenham at home, Chelsea away, Wolves away, Arsenal at home, and then they've got a really important two games away to Southampton and away to Crystal Palace before meeting Leicester City at home on the 28th of December. They've got such a tough run of games. Mm. They need to change it around quickly, right? Conceivably, they could lose the next four games and be on such a downer on confidence that those two kind of real six-pointers, or what could potentially be six-pointers, they could be really, I don't know, just not in the right frame of mind to to look to win those games. It's such a shame as well because they can play amazing football. When Lanzini and Yarmolenko are fit, they look so exciting up front. They've had some really exciting kind of wins. Like in last season, they beat Man United. I can't. Did they beat Chelsea as well? I can't. They beat Arsenal last year. Mm. Uh, yeah. I just feel okay. like they've got such potential, and when they've when they're kind of really operating as Pellegrini wants them to, they're just a really exciting attacking team. But they just look to crumble so quickly. You cannot believe like a a Newcastle team marshaled by your your favourite Steve Bruce, Dan. You Lovely know, guy. That yeah. completely bossed them last week. It was it was ridiculous that they were three 0 down in sort of no time to a you know to, um, their winger is really ta- is really quick. Um, but that was you almost felt like that was their all that Newcastle had and. They, Newcastle, uh, West Ham just seemed to crumble. Yeah, I can't and, and, a little bit. And Steve Bruce can be effective, but he's in no way a tactical genius. And he out-tacticked Pellegrini, which is really, really, really worrying for Pellegrini <laughs> and for Liverpool, uh, for West Ham fans, I should say, because that's not a good state to be in. And having spent so much in the summer to find themselves in 16th place, when at one point in the season they were in and around the top six, such a massive drop-off in form. And when players lose confidence, they can start to hide and they can start to not want the ball in areas and they start to play for themselves rather than as a team and they start to get on at each other. And that's not a good place to be in, especially when uh, West Ham fans aren't the happiest about moving to the London Stadium instead of Upton Park, aren't the happiest uh, with their owners. At the minute, unless... uh, things start to turn around. It does not look good for Pellegrini. Uh, last last word to you, Chris. Do you think he turns this around? Or do you think he'll be the um, the next to go? I think... I think if he is... It's not looking very good. Like, the form and then... They seem to be quite demanding at West Ham. Mm. The fact they've already come out with the vote of confidence for him. I know that yeah. it's been not good for the last three or four games, but that is still a relatively short amount of time. And he has been, I think he is a manager a level above the ones that they've had recently. So I think he does deserve more time. Um, I think the problem is, I really think he needs Fabianski back. He seems to be knitting the entire defensive unit together and he's just not going to be able to do that. So I think, uh, yeah, the only thing that might help them is they miss, because they were supposed to play Liverpool uh, in mid-December, but Liverpool are playing in the Club World Cup. They don't have a fixture. So going into a Christmas period totally fresh, having had two weeks off, might be a massive help for them against a lot of tired sides. So that might 
come into their advantage. But whether Pellegrini's there to see the <laughs> to be in charge for those games is another question. Uh, no, I think they'll pull the trigger. I think they'll be wrong to do it, but I think they'll get rid of him. And then I think they'll really struggle to get another manager in. Because they've already been down the big Sam and David Moyes route, and that hasn't yeah. worked. So I don't see either them so, It's only Tony Pulis left, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, maybe <laughs> Pulis will come. I think they'll fire him, and I think it'll be the wrong decision, and I think they'll be in even more trouble come late January. That's what I think. Well, it's not inconceivable that this West Ham side could go down just like a really good West Ham, West Ham side went down with the likes of Ferdinand, Defoe and, and others. And I have to say, it looks very worrying for them. But hopefully, for West Ham fans, they come through all right. So our next topic is all about possibly one of the biggest events in internet history. Um, KSI versus Logan Paul 2, the second fight in this series. KSI won, um, beating Logan Paul on a split decision. Josh, you didn't watch the fight, but you've watched the highlights. Tell me what you made of the, the boxing spectacle. And then Chris will come to you and your thoughts on the event as a whole afterwards. But Josh first, what did you make of the strange boxing fight that you watched the highlights of? It was quite strange. Yeah, there was. Um, it's like it was quite entertaining quite times. Yeah, <laughs> because KSI was just throwing haymakers just all the time, <laughs> like sort of windmilling his arms at times. And uh, I've never, I've never seen anyone in a boxing match so open to a counter punch, because <laughs> he was literally, as you said, windmilling his arms, throwing his whole body forwards, and a, and a, bo- a professional boxer would have been there just to counter punch and, and put him onto the ground probably within about 10 seconds yeah so in it i guess in boxing you kind of want to see that contrast in styles even if it's at amateur level and you did have that you had ksi all out attack and you had sort of logan paul who was seemed to have a decent technique you know had a decent guard and sort of staved him off and then you had a couple of um kind of Big hits, massive uppercut that KSI took um, and went down and then took another hit on the way down. Oh, which and... then Logan Paul got deducted points for. Two points, I should say. One for um, hitting well whilst um, having KSI in, in almost a headlock position and uppercutting him there. I mean, the first uppercut was a really good shot, actually, which mm. sent KSI tumbling. But then he grabbed his head and uppercutted him again, which was the first deducted point. And then whilst he was on the way down, he just thought he'd give him another dig as well, which was the second deducted point. Had those uh, deducted points not been given, Logan Paul would have won the match. Which is just, it just shows why this is an amateur match. And it's it's staggering how many people watched it because uh, it's just completely thrown, thrown the match away for no reason at all, which is staggering, really. But, but I is thought that as a spectacle, a given boxer, it was an amateur, yeah, wasn't too bad. Is that where a professional boxer would have had the kind of reserve and the the um, uh, the, the mental state to kind of stop themselves there and the 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 kind of because um, it was almost an adrenaline rush, wasn't it? I suppose for Logan Paul at that point, a professional mm-hmm. boxer would have stopped himself from doing that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, he just he couldn't stop himself, could he? They've got a massive kind of rivalry. It's been bigged up a lot. He kind of hadn't had too many hits up until that point, and he just he lost lost his head for a moment, and that was enough. Yeah, exactly. Um, and 
I, I was with you, Josh. I watched the highlights of the of the thing. I've read up lots about it. Was following it on BBC Sport as it was going. Um, for all accounts, it was an entertaining watch, but boxing style. I don't know if you've seen it, Josh, but when when Freddie Flintoff, and this is part of the thing we'll talk about later in our poll, but when Freddie Flintoff moved from cricket to boxing and had his one boxing match, he was constantly windmilling and kind of punching with a different part of his fist. And it just screamed as that. But like you've mentioned, two completely different boxing styles. One was KSI was so aggressive in his and just going all out for the for the finisher, basically. And Logan Paul was very reserved, had his guard up, as you said, lots of jabs and trying to catch him with an uppercut, which he did manage to, but in the end it was uh, to no avail. Now, Chris, we've spoken about it a lot, the kind of sporting event that wasn't really a sporting event, in all honesty. Now, I'm going to take you through the background, Chris, and I'm going to ask your thoughts on on the event as a whole. Now, okay. it all started, I think, when, when KSI and uh, a fellow YouTuber, Joe Weller, had a, had a boxing match in 2018 in London. Um, I think... According to the stats, it had 1.6 million live viewers, then 21 million views within a day of the actual uh, fight itself because it was on both of their YouTube channels and uh, 25 million over the next several days and ended up being the biggest white collar boxing event of all time, I think, Um, with KSI then winning the fight and he was awarded the YouTube Boxing Championship belt. That then prompted him to call out... uh, Originally, Jake Paul, which was who is Logan Paul's brother, who's had a lot to say after the fight and now wants his own fight against KSI. Jake Paul then stepped down, allowing Logan Paul to come in. Uh, Logan Paul and um, KSI had their first bout uh, and I think sold out the Manchester Arena and uh, streamed on YouTube. And um, it was a majority draw with two judges scoring at 57 all and the other one 58-57 in favour of KSI. Um, And then they booked a rematch and this time Eddie Hearn got involved, uh, promoted to people like uh, Anthony Joshua and some of the big names in boxing. Eddie Hearn got involved, sold it to Sky. It became a big pay-per-view event on Sky. And it's probably one of the most watched fighting uh, fighting events over in recent years. I mean, millions of people watched it. Millions of people will watch the aftermath on both KSI and Logan Paul's YouTube channels. Millions of people will watch the, um, the YouTube highlights. What do you make of the whole spectacle itself, Chris? And, and what do you make of the these kind of YouTube stars, not boxers, calling each each other out to have a fight with each other in a boxing ring? Uh, I just can't profess to understand <laughs> any of it. <laughs> what, why are these guys famous? Well, I mean, for for vlogging, basically. Great. YouTube uh, vlogging. And they've got... That. So, we, yeah. I, I, so... Which, which I agree with. It does take a certain level of... of uh, entertainment to get the amount because I think they've got f- around 40 million YouTube subscribers between them basically great um, <laughs> I can tell you're really impressed I just hate them both already um, so <laughs> I think I find myself asking why do we watch sport so we watch it for skill there was no skill on show here you guys have eloquently described the level of boxing ability going on in this match and, and it was basically, yeah. yeah it was just very low so there's none of that there. Um, 
we we watch sport live sport in particular when we don't we don't know the result we want to see how something unfolds but this is clearly completely manufactured the fact their first match was a draw just so they could do it again means you can't really trust the outcome so everyone was watching something that was fake and a complete farce as well so that means it doesn't make the, meet the criteria of a sport either we also watch sport because of like sporting rivalries like Man City and Liverpool we touched on earlier. Um, that's like the biggest rivalry in English football at the moment. And we've had big ones in the past. And we, in other sports like Schumacher against, I don't know, Damon Hill and sex. It happens in all sports. But again, this is just completely manufactured between two guys who are purely doing this to just increase their own view count and therefore line their own pockets. So it doesn't meet that criteria either. It's not a genuine sporting rivalry. So I don't think we can really describe any of this as sport, really. It's just an entertainment event that happens. I, th- I think I think that is correct to a, to a certain degree. It, it is an entertainment event, isn't it? It's it's happen. It's it happens to be happening in a sporting arena. Yeah, but it is an entertainment event rather than a. I suppose a, it's more like res- like wrestling is kind of we all know that's manufactured. That's more of a entertainment event than a sport and people still watch that i suppose um, but, but there's a big side to boxing at the minute that is a massively manufactured business uh, in terms of especially the weigh-ins and the and the conversations beforehand talking about how yeah. much they hate each other then after the fight oh i respect this guy so yeah. much let's hug <laughs> yeah. it out that always yeah. tends to be the way and it, and it was the same yesterday these two apparently hate each other cannot stand each other after the fight maybe as a sign of respect maybe just to kind of um, destroy the the facade of of them being mortal enemies, yeah. but they then hug out and yeah, because they both they all right, right, we're, we're friends because they both know they've made each other a hell of a lot more cash, a load of money, yeah. And at least in a real boxing match, you'd have there is all the money side to it, but there is ultimately a winner and a loser. Whereas in this, it's just really to to improve lengthen their career really and make some more money out of it and also it wouldn't be quite so bad if these guys weren't so hateful as well because hasn't one of them <laughs> didn't one of them get in a, quite a lot of trouble for being like a violent misogynist and and like calling like legitimizing rape and things like that and the other one got in a lot of trouble for finding a dead body and then mocking it at a suicide point yeah so these logan... two people sound utterly dreadful <laughs> so <laughs> logan paul um put a vlog on his youtube channel and i think it was um it, it was in i think 2017 in um in japan and he went to the um it was some kind of well-known forest for as a suicide site. I think it was known as colloquially as suicide forest. And he then put his video of his reaction to and showed the man who was who'd hung himself basically. Uh, and well, got, that is got, not good, got is it? Millions of views on that video. See, see, he's actually profiteering from a man's or woman's death. I mean, oh yeah, I, I does that not make them a morally reprehensible human being? Yeah, I, I yeah, in my opinion, yeah, I, do, I, I think it does. I feel uh, I've moved on and let my own vendetta again. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you've you've gone next level from the boxing event to straight up. I cannot stun this guy. What I found yeah, interesting, the event as a whole wouldn't be so bad if the two involved weren't so awful. Yeah. And I, I accept there's something about. Well, I, I don't, I don't know much about KSI. I do know quite a fair bit about um, Logan Paul uh, yeah. because of the, as you said, the the uh, misdemeanors of the past and, and the, 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 the 
the horrible things he's 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 done basically. Uh, yeah, yeah. But like I know KSI made a lot of his um, his beginnings were based on FIFA videos and 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 that kind of thing. But yes, um, he was also one of the ones that, um, like you said, about, about the rape um, joke. I think pretty you unsafe, could call it, but just a horrific subject for any. Yeah, just don't go near that subject. But it's, I think it was it was a regular, recurring joke, and yeah, yeah just not nice. No, um, no. The, what I find strange about it is that, I mean, there's been reactions from from different people. So, for example, um, Ryan Rhodes, who I, I believe is a boxer. Um, put in his tweet, so now KSI versus Logan Paul number two is over. Who's up for Justin Bieber versus Zac Efron for the Disney title? Um, completely belittling <laughs> the contest because I think that means that KSI um, retains the YouTube championship belt, which is ridiculous. Um, but then, having said that, some of the others, so Audley Harrison put on his Twitter, I just finished watching the Logan Paul versus KSI 2 fight and the after fight reactions. Now I know the boxing purists may poo-poo some of the boxing fundamentals on show, but both fighters were much improved over the last year and overall did not discredit boxing. For the debut it was thumbs up. Amir Khan put two novice fighters put on a good fight tonight. Well done. A third fight wouldn't surprise me. Chris Eubank Jr. put starting from round one this time. Aggression, persistence and tenacity were the keys and you unlock the doors. Congratulations KSI. So some of the boxing um, professionals thought it was okay. None of them openly kind of credited the boxing abilities of either men. Some people just, and I, and I have to say that getting into a boxing ring at all deserves some kind of credit. However, yeah, that the, the, the boxing on show wasn't fantastic. The thing I found a bit strange, and I don't know what you think, Josh, but on the undercard to the fight, now the undercard in general for, say, Anthony Joshua fights or whatever, tend to be still quite big because of the names. Now, these two are amateurs and they've been given a pay-per-view event, fine. They've been given an arena for it, sold out 21,000 tickets, fine. But then in their undercard, they've got the WBO super middleweight title and Billy Joe Saunders, who is a huge name in the sport of boxing, um, on their undercard defending that. And they've also got the WBC lightweight title. Um, and Devin Haney um, defended that one. Now, for me, two world title bouts on the undercard beneath two complete amateurs, <laughs> yeah, you, two YouTubers, is, it makes a, is insulting, makes a mockery. Though. It makes a mockery of boxing. That they, You either put um, KSI and Logan Paul on the undercard, or you just stage it as a completely separate event with no undercard. Yeah. It's not, yeah. it's not yeah. comparable to those professional boxing matches. Sure, sure. Surely you either put it as different YouTubers boxing each other in a YouTube event. Yeah. Or you put it by itself. You don't put Billy Joe Saunders on the undercard to KSI versus Logan Paul. <laughs> and it's like, absolutely ridiculous. ridiculous. I was going to say, just on the general point, like the, you could, I've said what I said about it, but you can't argue that as a publicity around boxing, yes, it's probably achieved its aim of increasing the publicity around the sport, but then it's well, almost certainly mugged itself off by putting on genuine professionals underneath itself and sort of, yeah, delegitimizing its own sport and sort of making a bit of a mockery of it itself. Well, really. So well, that can't be there. good publicity to do that. Yeah, and you mentioned it there, Chris, and, and that's the next point I was going to make as well, Josh. That's good, um, good, Chris, you've said that. Playing devil's advocate, on the flip side, it could have potentially 
brought a massive audience to the mm. sport of boxing that could then get a bit involved, especially if there are, and I want to say this, and, I'm, and I mean this, proper boxing events on the undercard, <laughs> could that then bring a new audience to that sport, I suppose, and bring a that's... huge audience to that sport potentially? I think that's definitely the intention. I don't think boxing's the only sport that's like experimenting with with new kind of contenders and new rules to sort of target a younger audience. Cricket are doing it with the hundred. Yeah. I could to be quite honest, the hundred I wanted England to win the ashes. I think the hundred is a way of like us being very far away from winning the ashes to add another tournament into that. But Potentially, I yeah. understand I understand that it's a way to attract younger people who want kind of short, sharp entertainment, which is like very easily digestible. And you see it with tennis as well. Tennis is experimenting with new rules, kind of uh, sets to four. I think I'm not going to go too much into it, actually, because it may or may not be part of my quiz. But (laughs) I think this, this could be seen as a just the latest iteration of the kind of appeal to the youth. Uh, a new kind of youth audience which isn't as interested in boxing and a way of a very good way they've found to do that is to find uh two of the most successful youtubers and stick them in a ring and uh, i guess whilst i agree with absolutely everything you say chris and i can't you i loved it i loved all of it you should go into politics (laughs) and uh, i I think uh unfortunately the kind of cynic in me sees this as, as a quite an effective marketing tool for boxing to a new audience like you say dan and i I think you've hit the nail on the head josh um it may not have been the best boxing uh, spectacle it may not have have featured um two of the nicest people it may be an absolute insult to some of the people who've worked so hard to be at the top of their game to then be on the undercard to this fight. But one thing you possibly could call it was entertaining. And it almost certainly brought a massive audience to the sport of boxing. So well done, KSI. And fingers crossed, there's not another event like another event like this in the future. Our final topic before we go on to the incredible sports quiz from Josh, I imagine, is all about the ATP finals um, currently happening now as we speak, Josh, as Nadal trails Zverev by a set and a break, which is very much unlike Rafael Nadal. But it's been a really exciting opening few games to the ATP finals. Of course, uh, Federer lost, uh, Sitsipas beat uh, fourth seed Medvedev. Um, and Djokovic strolled past his opponent. Uh, what do you make of the first few uh, matches? And is it really exciting? Because it seems very exciting from where from where I'm sat. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, I think the first few matches have confirmed that it's Djokovic's to lose. Um, yeah. Federer, yeah, absolutely. Federer, um, it was a disappointing, really disappointing performance against team. Although actually his third loss to team to team this year, and just as he starts to get a bit older, uh, you feel that players like team who just absolutely belt the ball so, so much pace and so deep. Once upon a time, he would have been able to sort of to start mixing it up and to try and bring him forward and to give him different looks, and he almost doesn't seem to have that mental agility. Now he's starting to lose to these players a bit more to kind of think clearly about how to beat them. 
And well, yeah, surely that I, gives these players so much confidence going in against Federer, knowing that actually the AG is, whilst he's still a, a phenomenal tennis player, mm. he is very beatable. Well, absolutely. I, I mean, perhaps I wouldn't go as far as very beatable, but he's certainly he's not. He's much uh, for, more. Sorry, yeah, for for the likes of for the top seeds, for the for the yeah. for the best players, certainly uh, much more beatable than he was even like a, a year, two years ago. He's just he, he can you can get at him. And uh, and once you start to kind of have a negative head to head against players that you were previously beating, you feel that someone like Djokovic has still got that aura. You walk onto a court with him, you almost feel you've got no hope. That was certainly how kind of Berrettini came out. Um, you just thought you haven't got a shot, mate. <laughs> you too, it was too all, and then Djokovic just kind of turned on the afterburners. Um, and it's just, I guess. Djokovic is to lose as well because Nadal just doesn't look like he's fit, which is unfortunate as it's the only tournament he hasn't, uh, the only uh, kind of Masters tournament he hasn't won, I believe. Um, yeah. Which is, yeah, a shame for him. I mean, there was a lot of errors made by Federer, um, which kind of gave team the 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 edge anyway, uh, mm. coupled with the fact that team just hits the ball so hard. Um, now, Federer lost... 12 months ago in his opening match at the ATP finals to Kaini Shikori. Um, mm. How hard is it at the ATP finals once you've lost your opening game to kind of regain that momentum and, and go on to win? I think it's, it is difficult, um, but it can focus your mind because, you know, you have to win those two next games because in yeah. previous years, players have won their first two and it's the only kind of tournament in tennis where you can afford to lose a match. And it's not knockout. It's quite strange for some players sometimes. You see them sort of lose focus, sort of the halfway through their third match. They think, do I actually need to win this? Am I doing maths in my head to work out if I actually need to, to win this or not? I remember Andy Murray, it was I mean, some years ago now, maybe five, six years ago. He, he didn't qualify for the semi-finals by one game. That was the kind of, Oof, that was how close it was. That'd be awful, wouldn't it? Yeah, indeed. So it... I think when you lose your first match, it, it does focus you to win your next two. But I think Federer's to beat Djokovic in this form, um, Berrettini, you'd expect him to win. But I think to, yeah. to know you going into the match, knowing you have to beat Djokovic is a really big ask. And it's, it, it's, it is really difficult um, for Federer because I imagine Djokovic will beat team, which means that Djokovic doesn't necessarily need to win his last game to go in. So there's a completely different attitude there where Djokovic can play with a bit of freedom. But mm. Federer, who has already made mistakes and, error, and, and a larger number than, of unforced errors than you'd necessarily expect him to make from the first game, it puts him then under a bit of pressure. And that can do a lot, even to the best sports people in the world. Absolutely. And it's their first meeting since Wimbledon, um, since he had two match points to, to take the final set and to get to kind of move him just that little bit further on to take him to 21 um, in the kind of Grand Slam race. And you just feel kind of mentally to be able to overcome that for Federer is going to, he's going to want revenge, certainly. But it's in those kind of pressure moments, it would surely be impossible not to think back to those two match points all those months ago. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Djokovic is probably the favourite, as you said, going into it anyway, and it is probably his to lose. Now, he's the 2019 Australian and Wimbledon champion. If he wins this, then he goes level with Federer on six wins at the Tour Finals. 
How close, Chris, do you think that puts someone like Djokovic to being in the same breath as uh, an all-time great like Federer or one or the all-time greatest um, like I think Josh and myself and maybe even you consider Federer to be? Um, I think he's, to be honest, I think he's pretty much there already. Um, yeah. I, I think it's looking increasingly likely like he's going to actually go past Federer's uh, tally of, of majors. Um, so especially especially considering um he's not as old as Federer is he's got quite a few years on him yeah exactly and he looks I mean. like he's only gaining in momentum and only only um, gaining in form and doesn't appear to be losing any of the things that make him so good i.e. his relentlessness and the yeah. fact he just will not give up it's his relentlessness and his men- yeah his mental toughness is probably the greatest i've seen in Certainly, any tennis player, possibly even any sport. Like he's just the depths to which he can draw upon to keep fighting, to to keep going when a match looks lost, um, to win those points, which are the massive clutch points in each match. I've never known anyone else like it. And no, as Federer... and, and well, it's it's is his flexibility as well to to be able to get the the ball back i've seen him at yeah. times fully doing almost fully doing the splits whilst being able to return a ridiculous <laughs> a ridiculous ball yeah yeah i know yeah it's amazing really and and as and i think the maths almost is on his side in and what i mean by that is that as federer gets older is he 38 now josh i think he's there, yeah he yeah, is, yeah 39 yeah. next year he's still obviously federer's still fantastic and still competing at the highest level but I think you guys have hinted that you, the, a few cracks are starting to appear there. And if we assume that over the next couple of years, Federer maybe drops off from being able to compete for as many majors, then that's one less rival for jo- that's in Djokovic's way. Nadal's had his own trouble with injury that we're even seeing at this tournament. It potentially leaves him unopposed as the world number one. And I don't see anyone else in the sort of younger batch who's anywhere near the level of those three still. I think it's okay. We've rinker on a good day. There's a couple of others, but I don't well, think they're got, anywhere near that Medvedev level. Yet. So, yeah, but you've got Medvedev that when when on his on his game is an incredible yeah. tennis player. I, mean, I don't know what because that's a really good point that um, that Chris makes. I know you touched on it last week, Josh, in your your roundup of the the WTA tour finals, um, and, and and you kind of touched upon the fact that women's tennis is is quite inconsistent with who's at the top whereas men's tennis has been really consistent of the the top three and Andy Murray when when he was on his top form consistently being over the last 10 or so years the top players in the game um but then you have got the next gen players like Tsitsipas like um uh, Medvedev who could challenge and I I suppose we saw a bit of that from Tsitsipas uh yesterday Mm. Absolutely. Um, both Sitsipats and uh, Medvedev have beaten Djokovic this year yeah. in kind of smaller three-set tournaments. And so you know that they can do it. They've got the game to do it. But it's like you say, Chris, the kind of mental ability you need to compete with Djokovic and Nadal and Federer, really, over five sets, it just it, it's just not there. It's The kind of Nadal-Federer-Djokovic have built that up over so many years it's so difficult for a kind of young player to go in with playing with 
no fear whatsoever when you just they kind of the achievements just stack up and especially over kind of what could be a four to five hour match which it normally is versus Djokovic I think if anyone's going to do it I think it would be Medvedev his game matches up quite well against Djokovic just because they're both kind of robotic in their hitting their spots he's got quite a big serve he can really trade backhand to backhand with with Novak but I, I still can't, he still hasn't shown in, or oh, he is the one who's shown the most in the slams and get into the US Open final. Um, I think he would, he would be the one to challenge if, if there mm. were one. Aren't we still at, hasn't there, aren't we still on that statistic that no man born since 1990 has won a Grand Slam yet because of the dominance? <laughs> I think so. Of those top three, which is absolutely astonishing, especially well, if you compare it to any other sport as well. That just shows how much further far and away those those top three and and murray as well uh have been um you, you look you look at players over the years that those <laughs> those four had a swing at it and just not mm. got anywhere near that's amazing yeah. you, you look at players over the years of of those four being at the top of the game murray included yeah and and, and players like vavrinka um players even like joe wilfred songa um like one martin del potro in any other era would have won way more slams than they actually mm. have yeah yeah. But are considered to not be anywhere near that level because of how good Federer, Dahl, Djokovic and Murray are or were in some cases. Yeah, I mean, you could argue they've been unfortunate to be born into an Re- era of such Really dominance. unfortunate, yeah. But, but could you also, by virtue of that, extend and say, well, in the past, no one was as good as these guys. So mm. it almost, does it delegitimise some of the majors that people like? Agassi and Sampras, et cetera, et cetera, won. I don't know whether it does. That might be a bit harsh, but I think it just shows how the but, game... I mean, that's a really good point. What, what, do you, what do you think, Josh? Well, to think that Leighton Hewitt won a slam, and if he, say, if he was kind of breaking into the, the kind of game now, he wouldn't get close. He just doesn't have the power in his game. He's like a kind of very, very low-powered Djokovic. It's, yeah. Uh, I think, yeah. to be fair, the game has moved on and it's very much about kind of power and kind of the fitness you need to be able to kind of compete for like very, very long matches. And well, I imagine, I imagine of... tennis coaches out there are looking for the, the tallest, uh, most powerful uh, youngsters to get into the game because if they've got a, a, a tall person with a with a, a really strong serve that can go from such a height into the ground and then get aces all the time and then they've got a really good ground stroke mm. it's hard to play against that unless you're someone like Djokovic who just gets anything back anyway yeah and courts have definitely got slower so in Sampras's time it was very you know he served that many aces because he he had probably the best serve that there's ever been but also because the courts were so quick an ace an a him serving now he wouldn't he wouldn't serve nearly as many aces and now the kind of the courts being slower definitely favors your your nadals and Djokovic's who can track everything down and are just able to get balls back in court um i'm not saying that kind of 10 years ago they wouldn't have been as successful but it's certainly the case that your big servers like your john isners and your your andy roddicks i, I don't think they're quite as kind of potent as they were sort of in Sampras's era. No. Do you think, Josh, that men's tennis will have a bit of a problem potentially in like a few years? Because if you say, as, as Djokovic gets older and Federer and Nadal retire, probably, mm. and then 
what if you start getting people like I don't know, like Ralich, Chilich, those those sort of guys winning who have been proven not to be of the required standard to win majors in this era? If they start picking up majors, then men's tennis might start thinking, oh well, now it's being won by some of the yeah. players not at the highest level. Will that lose a bit of interest in the sport? I, I think this. I think tennis is terrified of. Well, first of all, Federer retiring just because of his following kind of yeah. around the world. But yeah. certainly when all the kind of big three retire. Um, which will... which isn't in the too distant future, to be honest, with all of them a good way past 30. And even, you know, say if Nadal kind of injury catches up with him and he's no longer kind of able to continue. With Djokovic on his own, I think it becomes quite a one-dimensional sport. Um, yeah. He just kind of effortlessly is... is a fair way better than everybody at the moment anyway i think this is why there's a really big movement within tennis to kind of big up the next generation they've got these next gen finals which won last week which is kind of i think the eight best uh players under 21 in the world to try and sort of uh, really promote the next generation of players they hope hasn't <laughs> they've kind of missed a generation with your dimitrovs and your Raonic's who haven't quite been up to that level yeah. And they recognise we need where are the next Federer's Nadal's Djokovic is going to come from. And even if they're not quite at that level, we need kind of some players to lead men's tennis, which I think is why I said last week that women's tennis is in a better, kind of more competitive top 10 situation. But if, or, if that was to happen in if that was to happen in men's sport, where, where you kind of took away the, the, the Federer's, the Djokovic's, the Nadal's and had more of a competitive edge with your Medvedev's, your Zverev's, your uh, Tsitsipas's uh, and then even your Chilich's and those kind of players, would that not put men's tennis into a better shape where you've got more competitive players at the top? I mean, I feel it would be. I feel it would be in better shape. Um, I quite like a kind of, it's, a, you know, a bit like having the top six in the Premier League all being able to challenge for the title. I think that makes for a really exciting league. No one wants to see that one player, that one team just be much better than everybody else. It just doesn't make for interesting viewing. And I think tennis just has a general problem with um, a kind of the best player will normally win. There isn't too much luck involved that will kind of put like an, an outlandish result in. There isn't like really quick courts anymore where someone could just serve their way to a, a kind of three tie breaks in a row. That doesn't happen so much anymore. So you really do want players who can beat each other regularly to ensure that people who maybe don't, you know, don't really like Djokovic's style of play, for example, aren't just a little bit switched off by it and, you know, maybe go to another sport or maybe go and watch some YouTubers do a boxing match, who knows? Uh, that's not getting started on that I think, it, <laughs> I think it depends what you like from, from the want from the sport as well, because you might get... I think at the moment it does well for picking up viewers uh, from who are maybe more casual, uh, who know that at the latter stages of a major tournament, they're going to be able to watch really high-quality standard tennis between two world stars. Mm. Uh, and with, with that gone, you may get more of an open field. So then you may it becomes interesting from a different point of view of you don't really know who's going to win the tournament. So it might still be interesting for different reasons. Um, but if they do start to lose viewers, they could always take a leaf out of boxing's book and uh, 
get two YouTubers to play swing ball on yeah. centre court. Uh, <laughs> would, and I'm sure that I would bring in millions of viewers. So. Yeah, I'd love to see swing ball on centre court. That'd be absolutely fantastic. <laughs> um, but hey, it's been a great tournament so far. Who knows what's going to happen when the uh, the three top dogs of tennis go out. But let's just enjoy them now. Unlucky for Federer. Wasn't at his best. Djokovic very clearly is. It looks to me like the ATP finals, as Josh said, a Djokovic is to lose. Let's see if that happens. So I say it every week, but genuinely, this is the best, my favourite, I should say, part of the podcast. It's time for the sports quiz. And Josh, it's your turn this week. We did okay on yours last week, Chris. It was all right. We didn't do yeah. too badly. And there were some totals. brilliant answers in there uh, that you made up out of your own crazy mind. But um, <laughs> but Josh, I'm so ready for your quiz. Here's hoping I get three or four. Chris, you need a good five, I reckon, I as mean, you said last week, to, yeah, to get back in touch. Needed. Full house to get back in touch with Josh. Has he got a hope in hell, Josh? Or is it uh, impossible to get five on your quiz this week? Um... There's quite a lot of half pointers in this one. So you're unlikely to do to get zero, but I think you're unlikely to get five as well. Okay. Oh, sounds like my kind of quiz. Josh, let's get on with it. Off you go. Okay. So first question, guys. So this question, I'm going to read out three statements. Two are true and one is a lie. I want you to tell me which one's the lie. Okay. Cool. So. What is unusual about the next-gen finals, which took place last week, which are played by the eight highest-ranked players under 21? So, A, the sets are played up to four with a tie-break at three-all. B, the players use a towel rack at the back of the court rather than the ball boys or boy girls uh, giving them the towel. Or C, there are no let cords on serve. So if you hit the net... Um, rolls over, that's a, a valid ace. Really? Oh wait, one of them's not <laughs> one of them's not true. I'm not so. gonna tell you if it's really <laughs> <laughs> Is it that one though, Josh? Uh, <laughs> uh wow, okay. Can you sorry, can you go those through those again? Yes, of course. So A the sets are played up to four with a tie break at three all. B the players use a towel rack at the back of the court instead of a ball boy or a ball girl, and C there are no let cords on serve. Okay, yeah, I've got an answer. Started? Yeah. Yeah, I've got one, yeah. Okie dokie. So question two. Kyle Walker had a stint between the sticks on Wednesday after Edison and Bravo went off. Could you name for me three other outfield players from the Premier League who've also had to fill in as keeper? I don't know if it if it was in a Premier League game. Oh, sorry. Nice. If as long as they're a Premier League team, it doesn't have to be in a Premier oh, League. Oh, okay, match. right, cool, okay. Uh, so uh, three answers, please. Oh, I don't know if it, oh, no. Okay, yeah, I've got, I've got. Well, I've got four answers. I'll just give you three of them because <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure between two of them, and. I'm not sure which one I'm going to go for yet. Okay. How are you doing, Chris? Yeah, yeah, I've got. Very good, good stuff. Okay. So, 
Messi this week netted two beautiful free kicks as he dragged Barcelona to another victory and put them top of La Liga. Great finish. Messi, yeah, they were amazing. Messi has scored free kicks for fun in recent seasons, but who has the most out of these dead ball specialists? So I want you to put them in order from <laughs> most free kicks scored to least. Okay. Wow. So Lionel Messi, number one. You better perhaps write these down so you remember. Number two, Cristiano Ronaldo. Number three, Janino. As in Janino Pernambucano. Thank you very much. Excellent. Le- Leon's, Leon's middles for a legend. Is this, is this career totals? Middles. Nah. So. Okay. Career, um, career, yeah, career totals, surely. Career totals, yeah. Right, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Um, number four, David Beckham. The man, the legend. And number five, Roberto Carlos. In order from least to from most to least, sorry. most to least, yeah. Right. Uh, I'll give you a second. I was surprised by this actually. Maybe that gives you a clue. Maybe it doesn't. Okay. Um. So, the, uh, what I should have said, the scoring for the last two points... Oh, sorry, the scoring for, the, for this question the next. Um, if you get the person who scored the most, you get half a point. And if you put them in the correct order as well, you get the other half a point. Right, okay. Okay. What, for, is that for three and four? Yeah, for three. So okay. the next one is a similar thing. Oh, Josh, this is tough. I like it, though. It's <laughs> well, good, I was, was so going to give bonus points, but then I thought it would mess up the whole score and it wouldn't yeah, be in the multiple five. Yeah, you'd be with yourself. Yeah, you'd, yeah, you'd be doing yourself down there, Josh. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. That's a true. good point, actually. Okay. Have you got an answer? Yeah, I don't think it's yeah. right, but I'm thoroughly enjoying the quiz, Josh. So, <laughs> Glad to hear it. It's an absolute so challenge. So, pleased to hear the next question is putting stuff in order again. Woo-hoo. So... I want you to put these items or things in order from most expensive to least expensive. Okay. So I want number one, the Leicester lineup versus Arsenal. Number two, the Arsenal wage bill this season. Number three, the GDP of Nauru, which is... A continent, <laughs> uh, a country in the Pacific, I believe. Just, you know, reaching the podcast out to kind of new audiences. I don't even know how to spell that, but that's fine. It doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> Our listener in American Samoa is going to do really well. <laughs> okay, and finally, well, I'll know uh, that one. Yeah. <laughs> number four, the Man City training complex. The Leicester lineup is that in terms of transfer fees? Yeah, transfer value, not wages or anything. Right. Okay. Uh... Um, okay. So that's okay. That. <laughs> I feel like right. <laughs> okay. How are you uh, doing? <laughs> no. Anyway, uh, I'll give you a sec. Um, so the Leicester lineup, Arsenal wage bill, Man City training complex, and, and the Nauru. GDP of Nauru, which I think is how you pronounce it. Hopefully, the Nauru listeners can correct me. All of the I Nauru. I think that's listeners. right, actually. I think you pronounced it correct. 
Oh, thank you, Chris. I'm impressed by geog- the world geographical well. knowledge is because I've never heard of this place. Um, <laughs> oh. Okay. Uh, when you say wage bill, is that wages per year? Yes. For the Arsenal players. Yeah. Yes. So whilst you're just finishing that off, I'm going to explain the last question. Um, have either of you watched um, Richard Osman's House of Games? Yes. Yeah. Good. So this is an answer smash. <laughs> do I need to explain more? I'll explain for the listeners. So well, an answer it? smash yeah. is two clues which you smash together to make the answer. Okay. <laughs> And I can't think of an example, so I'm just going to go with the clues. Okay. So. <laughs> will it make a word? It will make a word. Right. It will. It will fit together. Right. Okay. Cool. This might get dropped from my next quiz if this doesn't go well. So we'll. <laughs> well, it's going to be entertaining either way. So. <laughs> so, the first, the clue for the first word that you're going to smash into the second is Newcastle and Chelsea striker, who famously capitalised on. Gerard Stephen, Stephen Gerrard slipped to score for Chelsea in a game I'm sure you'll remember. That's the first clue. Yeah. The second clue is a 1980s band whose hits include <laughs> Venus um, and other ones I'm going to check. Cruel Summer and I Heard a Rumour. Hope you know who they are. Yeah, I think I got it. Okay. Right. How are you ready for the answers? Uh, yeah, I am. I'm not. Uh, give us a second. Uh... <laughs> so I'll, I'll say the I'll say the two clues again for the last question. Um, so Newcastle and Chelsea player, first clue, Newcastle and Chelsea player famously capitalised on Steven Gerrard's slip to score for Chelsea. Second clue, band from the 1980s whose hits include Venus, I Heard a Rumour and Cruel Summer. Smash them together. Smash. I really wish I, don't I had know how... but it'd probably be in breach of copyright if I did. Celestine Babiaro and Pink Floyd. How did they go together? <laughs> <laughs> trying to think of another Newcastle Chelsea player. I, I tell you what, not bad for 30 seconds prep, that one, Dan. Good work. Okay. Are we ready for the answers, guys? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So, two statements are true. One is a lie. The sets are played up to four in the next-gen finals with a tiebreak at three-all. Players use a towel rack instead of a ball boy or girl. Or there are no let cords on serve. Dan, what did you go for? Which is the lie? Well, I'm pretty sure A is definitely true. So it's between B and C. And so I just thought they could be the ball boys in other events. So maybe there's no ball boys left. And maybe they're just on a towel rack at the back. So I've gone for A and B. Okie dokie. And what have you gone for, Chris? What? Oh. So are you, sorry, Dan, are you saying A and B are the true ones and C is the lie? Yeah, that's what you wanted, right? That's what I wanted. So what okay, have you gone right, for, Chris? Could, right, okay, yeah. So I thought the let was a lie as well, see. Okay. You are both correct. Well done. Woo-hoo. Oh, very good. I just thought, how harsh should that be if 
for some reason they just took out the let call in in next gen so you could just aim to go on the nets and just dribble over straight away for an 80 <laughs> interestingly um i don't know which tournament it was and i really wish i did now but they did play no let courts on serve and it is a kind of debating point within tennis as to whether because if you think about it there are let cords in the rest of the rally so why True. on serve should they should they not be in theory anyway so they did True. they did play a tournament where they they had no let cords on serve but not in the next gen and it was carnage <laughs> well i think um it was a it was a ladies tournament and she didn't realize like that i think it only happened once in the match and she didn't go for it because she thought it was a let cord. And then they called it. And just, I think it was on match point or something ridiculous. So it was really harsh. Oh, wow. Awful. So um, very good. One out of five so far. So question two. Kai Walker had a stint, between the stick, a stint between the sticks on Wednesday after Edison and Bravo went off. So can you name me three players who've also had a stint between the sticks? Outfield players. Chris, I'll come to you first. Um I had two, but then the third one I didn't really know. I've gone for <coughs> Phil Jagielka, Harry Kane, and Michael Brown. Okay, they're on my. I don't have Michael Brown on my list. I have the first two. Yeah, he was a complete guess, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> like, like of all the guesses you have for Michael Brown, the reason is, is because obscure. I like because, it. Um, Neil Warnock never plays with a goalkeeper on his bench. True. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Which is why. Jagielka, I think, is right. But I couldn't think yeah, of Yeah, I seem else. to remember so Jagielka. I just went for yeah, Jagielka went in. Yeah. So I just picked another Sheffield United player. <laughs> I'm going to give you half a point, Chris, because it's exceptionally good um, logic as well to think of. <laughs> that is very good. Okay, and who did you go for, Dan? I went um, John O'Shea, Rio Ferdinand, John Correct. Terry, and I just put Harry Kane down there as well. You've got four. You don't get an extra point, but that is very good. Well, I didn't know. I couldn't remember whether Rio Ferdinand did or not. So if I thought if I've gone for four, I know three of them. I think three of them are right. Yeah. And Harry Kane went in as well. So correct. Yeah. And there is one player and neither of you mentioned him who actually saved a penalty after going in goal from which was Niall oh. Quinn in 1991. Oh, I've seen, yeah, I've seen that oh, right. on, uh, on Sky. Okay. Some kind of replay when Kyle, when Niall Quinn was either in the studio or something. I can't remember. Nice. Okay. Good work so far, guys. So, can you put these free kick specialists in order? So we've got Messi, Ronaldo, Janino, Beckham, and Roberto, Roberto Carlos. So Dan, who have you gone for? Right. So I've gone for Ronaldo, top, Janino, mm-hmm. Perno, Bucano, Messi, Roberto Carlos, and David Beckham at the bottom. Okay. And who have you gone for, Chris? Um, I've got Janino at the top, then Messi. Mm-hmm. Then Beckham, then Ronaldo, then Roberto Carlos. Well, Chris takes the half point for Janino being top oh. of the tree. Janino scored 75 free kicks in his career. They're Next... all on YouTube as well. They're amazing. Yeah. They're so... he, he, he was top of my list. He was, bot- he was towards the bottom, sorry. I gradually worked him up the list. <laughs> and I, I did think all of his YouTube clips are his, are his uh, ridiculous Leon um, free yeah. kick ability yeah i just didn't put him past ronaldo and i don't know why okay so janino first unfortunately neither of you got the order so janino then it's beckham with 65 wow then it's really? Messi. sorry then it's ronaldo with 54 then it's messi with 52 so they're pretty close messi could well overtake him and then roberto carlos is way down on 26 i think he's I just, just... 
Yeah, famous for that, that amazing swerve. <laughs> he he oh, yeah, died out on that for so many yeah. years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure why. I just had it in my mind that Beckham had this brilliant dead ball ability, but actually didn't score as many free kicks as people thought he did. But I thought that as well. When I was researching this, I thought Beckham would be way down, sort of Robert, just above Roberto Carlos. But I was really surprised. He must have scored more in MLS, I guess. Maybe. I mean, he did score a fair few, though, to be fair, for yeah. for, for Madrid, for, for United and for England. Mm. Oh, well. Roberto no, Carlos, my favourite to watch for me, just because they were ridiculous. No one takes free kicks like him. Nobody. And so far out all the time as well. <laughs> Unbelievable. Absolutely leathered it, John Arnarisa style. Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe, okay. maybe John Arnarisa leathered it, Roberto Carlos style, instead, the other way around. <laughs> maybe, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so question four. Put these items in order from most expensive to least. So you've got the Leicester lineup, the Arsenal wage bill of this year, the GDP of Nauru, and the Man City training complex. So, Chris, can you put these in order for me? Half a point if you get the most expensive first. So I went uh, from top to bottom Arsenal wage bill, Leicester lineup, Man City training, Nauru GDP. Okay, and who have you gone for, Dan? What, what's your I've almost order? identical? But I've gone Arsenal wage bill, Man City training complex, Leicester lineup, and Nauru. So I've just switched the middle two from Chris. Just sorry, say yours again, Dan. Uh, Arsenal wage bill, Man City training complex, Leicester lineup, and Nauru. And Dan takes the whole point there, and you get half a point, Chris. Right, that is bang on, Dan. That is very impressive. I just, I just thought that Arsenal's wait, because I, I, I was thinking through the Leicester lineup, and actually, there's not that many players they spent a great deal on, mm. and some yeah. of them are homegrown anyway. Yeah, Barnes and Tielemans, I think, is the biggest signing, um, and yeah, there, there aren't there aren't many big ones. So the the actual answers are um, Man City, sorry, uh, Arsenal wage bill two hundred twenty three million, Man City training complex two hundred million. Leicester line up 130 million and the Nauru GDP is only 114 million, but wow. there aren't many people on it. So it's not all that surprising. I think all of that uh, money's bought in by a phosphate mine they've got on the island. Well, how do you know so much about this place? <laughs> <laughs> because I had this uh, little book that had all the countries of the world in it and like facts about each one. Don't lie, Chris. It was just a book I mean, all about Nauru. And... <laughs> and it just had a little picture of the map on as well. But Nauru is so small that it showed, like on the other countries, it would, like England, it would show London, Birmingham, Manchester. This was so small, it showed the phosphate mine, the village school and the post office <laughs> <laughs> on the country's map. Amazing. So I was like, it's just fascinating. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. So half a point to Chris, full point to Dan. Well done. Okay. So five, answer smash, Newcastle and Chelsea player who scored when Gerard slipped and 1980s band with such hits as Venus and I Heard a Rumour. Dan, what did you go for? I went for Demba Bananarama. And did you get that, Chris, as well? Yeah. Correct. <laughs> Only because I just was trying to remember bands that began with BA. <laughs> <laughs> well... It's not, you know, it's all about the answer. It's not how you uh, got there. So, hey, it was a good question. That was Josh. <laughs> a great quiz, in fact. Glad you enjoyed it. It was oh, really enjoyable. What did uh, you very well as well, so everyone's happy. Yeah, Chris, final score. I think I got three and a half. Oh, nice. I got four out of five. Oh, well done. And so when we add that to the original quiz scores, 
that leaves me on 18.5 out of 30. And Chris, that leaves you on 15 out of 30. So the scores at the minute after three rounds um, total are um, Chris, you're on 15 out of 30. I'm on, uh, Josh, you're on 16 out of 30, so very close. And I'm on 18 and a half out of 30. So there's only three and a half points difference between all of us. It's a good level of that was. And Josh, very, very good quiz. We're very close. And it seems like it's anyone's game with such a long way to go. So much more exciting than the title race. Absolutely. All (laughs) to play for. So that's almost all we've got time for this week. The only thing left to do is the poll for this week. Now, the poll for this week, thinking about KSI and uh, Logan Paul, is all about the most memorable sporting career change. Let me just explain that very briefly. That could either be a sports star that's changed career completely into a different career. That could be a sports star that's changed career into a different sport. Or that could be uh, an already well-made celebrity who's become a sports star for whatever reason so yeah i'll go through that again the most memorable sporting career change now i've asked you guys to have a think about it you already had someone in mind chris i'll come to you first who's your most memorable sporting career change just to clarify could i choose someone who was a sports star who then went on to do something else yes is that like, okay brilliant that's absolutely so, allowed that's good because mine is uh george weir who <laughs> was one of the uh well an absolutely amazing footballer he was the won the ballon d'or he won yeah. the FIFA player of the year he was three times african player of the year um won league titles with uh psg i think and uh with ac milan in italy twice so yeah an absolute star of the game um who has now gone on to be liberian president uh, what a <laughs> running an entire an entire country so i think <laughs> that makes him uh pretty pretty unique really and there's a just shows how uh, skilled he is and that he can apply his talents both physically and but also, uh, to the world. also shows what, what sport can do for somebody, but also for a nation to be yeah. so well liked that you can then be voted into to be leader of the country. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right, Dan. Yeah, really amazing story. And brilliant suggestion as well. Josh, your suggestion for this week. So I've, we've gone slightly from the sublime to the ridiculous here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Peter Crouch for his uh, kind of footballer to podcaster. Very good. (laughs) Which isn't quite presidential in nature. (laughs) But um, he, I can't defend this now. George Weir's just gone. (laughs) Um, I mean, mean, you've gone from political figure now to podcaster. I mean, Josh, great suggestion, I think. Tell me why. (laughs) So... I I really enjoy his podcast. Um, he very much, you don't tend to think of footballers as like particularly maybe articulate. They don't come across like particularly interesting people in interviews because they're very much told what to say. But he, it's really nice to see him kind of belie that completely and become someone who's like a very much like loved figure, a real cult hero in the game, but also now from a really, really good podcast. And I gather from listening to it that footballers are a big fan of it and he's kind of lifting the lid on kind of secrets within the game and what have you. So 
Yeah, it might not be. He's might not be president of a country, but he's president of the podcasting sporting world. I'm president <laughs> of your heart, Josh. Um, <laughs> um, but also, I mean, you're exactly right with this podcast. It's great insight into the world of a footballer, but also his book, How to Be a Footballer, is a really, really brilliant read as well. And it gets a lot of his stories and intertwines them in both. Um, also, Josh, you, you failed to mention he is now the star of a brilliant phone contract advert. Um, oh, well, so, just oh, all-round media personality. Now he's been on Match of the I Day mean, a few times, hasn't he? So many it. strings, just so many strings to his bow. I mean, there you go, George Weir or Peter Crouch. There's one, two of your options so far. When I was thinking of this, I had so many thoughts in my mind. Um, a clear one where we talked about it earlier was Flintoff going from cricket into boxing only for one fight and the fight wasn't very good at all an awful boxing match to watch and Flintoff thought nope not for me anymore I'm going to go and do something else um Vinnie Jones I had in mind footballer to X-Men 3 legend um as the juggernaut um not his finest acting performance much better in I think it was lock stock and two smoking barrels um which was actually pretty good in Usain Bolt I thought about as well going from running into into football Although he didn't really make a career of it. He did score a few goals for, I think it was Central Coast Mariners um, alongside Ross McCormack up front. Um, but Josh, I've gone in the same vein as you here. The one I had to go for was Dion Dublin from the world of a, of a brilliant central striker and then centre half in his latter days to presenting Holmes under the hammer. What? <laughs> what? What a career change that is. I'm absolutely what insane. What a shout, Dan. What a but, shout. But also the fact he went from that into Dion Dublin's doob um, and his um, drum set that he now sells and plays and is a real success. Um, but actually, whenever you see him on Homes Under the Hammer, he is top notch at that job. Um, does a really good job of presenting. So for me, as you said, Josh, it's not quite uh, George Weir and becoming president of a country. But becoming a leader in the 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 uh, life of a daytime telly host is pretty good going for someone like Dion Dublin. So there's your three options. George Weir from footballer to president, uh, Peter Crouch from footballer to podcaster, or Dion Dublin from footballer to daytime telly host of Homes Under the Hammer. But of course, if you've got another suggestion, put other in the poll, comment below and make sure that you tell us what you think it is. Our Twitter page is at Pod Sports Weekly. That's at Pod Sports Weekly. And let us know what you think. If you had to pick a winner, Josh and Chris, which one do you think is going to win this week? Dion Dublin. <laughs> Over George Ware. <laughs> I don't know. Um yours might be more old Josh's might be more populist maybe my people think I'm serious an answer but true I mean you've gone very serious but a very very good shout um me and Josh have gone for the absolute ridiculous <laughs> but who knows maybe ridiculous wins Josh who do you think is going to win this week um I don't know who's going to win, but I 100% want George Weir to win. I kind of <laughs> almost want to swap with Chris. So I'm I'm going to vote 10 times for George Weir. Hey, if you want, Josh, I can yeah. put on the Twitter poll options, George Weir, George Weir and Dion Dublin, if you want. Uh, <laughs> I can cover yeah, I'll stick with Pete. Months. I'll stick with Pete. Yeah, Pete's got it. Got it in the bag for you, mate. Um, I think George Weir is going to win personally, but I'd love Dion Dublin to win because 
It's like winning a daytime telly award for him shortly, winning the the poll from Sports Weekly. I imagine it's pretty much the same. Um, but sadly, that's all we've got time for. Josh and Chris, have you enjoyed yourselves this week? Yeah, it's been absolutely brilliant. I've loved it. It's been it's a really, really good chat. Really, it's been a it. good one. Yeah, I've loved seeing Chris get so irate about YouTube boxes. <laughs> I mean, that, I think that we should release highlight. it as a separate podcast, just yeah, Chris absolutely. versus YouTubers. <laughs> yeah, a sister podcast. Hey, they do like boycott YouTube. our uh, podcast and like get yeah. a Although, actually thinking about it, we've now lost all KSI fans and lost all Logan Paul fans. <laughs> and that's and the of the lost, internet. And we've lost the city of Coventry all in one podcast. I mean, uh, there's not been a great one for, for listeners, but a great one for us to talk about. Um, same again next now, yeah, we've got Nauru down. Yeah, that is true. Nauru is our target audience. But yeah, same again next week, boys. Yeah, absolutely. Super. Well, I look forward to it already. Thank you for listening and make sure you tune in next week for another episode of Sports Weekly. 